0: Alright, and now dancing to the song I've got something in my front pocket for you, here is Colorado State champion Leopold Butters Scotch. I've got something in my front pocket for you. Why don't you reach on in my pocket and see what it is? Then grab onto it just for you. Give a little squeeze and say how do you do?
1: Welcome to Peak Show, where we believe that God's plan involves getting me my own planet. I'm your host, Turd Sandwich, Brie Rohde, and who is here with me today?
0: This is Eric Peacock. It's great to be here, by the way.
1: Yay! Welcome to the show, Eric. Um, So as you all know, you the listeners know, we went back to TV land with our Always Sunny episode last week. This week we're sort of going back to TV land, but this is indeed a creator-focused episode. We are discussing Matt Stone and Trey Parker, obviously of South Park fame, but have also started and created numerous projects on the big screen as well as the stage. And so I thought it would be really fun to have Eric on because Eric, you are a musical guest uh, to take us through the ups and downs of Stone and Parker, whose career pursuits have been very musical at every turn. So Eric... Why don't you tell me a little bit about your podcast, the Soundtracker podcast, and uh, what uh, what you do over there?
0: Well, it's funny because at some point, uh, pretty much every one of their theatrical films will get a discussion on my show, so it is mm-hmm. kind of perfect. Um, because yeah, they do tremendous soundtracks. Like I'm so excited to get to Cannibal, but the whole whole point of my show is. Uh, you know, during the 70s, 80s and particularly the 90s and, and a little bit beyond mm. uh, pretty much every movie that came out in theaters in like the late 90s, you could go over to the record store and find a soundtrack for it. And, you know, streaming and all kinds of things have kind of diminished that you could still find the occasional one. But uh, so my show is basically half movie discussion, half music discussion, because I, I didn't want it to just be soundtrack focused because realistically you know there's maybe 150 200 like really big soundtracks and then a bunch of like not so great soundtracks Mm -hmm. or not so big soundtracks so it's it's one part movie discussion one part music discussion and it kind of sees how the two tie in together and obviously with matt and trey uh they're a huge part of everything that they do like they're super important to their project so yeah it was a uh you know nice tie-in having me on with these two in particular
1: yeah and and like i i had joked on the uh season one finale party when i um uh when i was unveiling my season two episodes like oh i don't want to get another white guy to do matt stone and trey parker and i couldn't find (laughs) anyone who wasn't a white guy (laughs) sorry but it's like um you know as it turns out, it's because most of my friends who aren't white guys aren't interested in them. Um, and it's hard, also hard to believe. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, I do feel like the more I thought about it, I'm like, you can't talk about them without talking about their musical backgrounds, the way music has informed everything they do, um, especially their stuff that goes beyond South Park. Um And that's kind of why I didn't want to do an episode just on the peak of South Park. A, because I am not an intense enough South Park fan to uh, be able to discuss the peak of South Park. And um, unlike something like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which I had to catch up on prior to the show, I'm not willing to subject myself to a great deal of South Park just for the sake of the show. (laughs) Um, I mean, I have seen a lot of South Park, but just... um, I didn't feel like being a completionist about that. But the other projects are so varied and some of them I've enjoyed far more than others. Um, I think it'd be easy to um, write the two of them purely off as douchebag reactionaries. And in many ways, they are douchebag reactionaries. But they're also um, like some of the most frustrating people to admit are really gifted and creative.
0: Yeah, I I do feel like if you just write them off as you know, douchebag bros or whatever, it is sort of selling them short because I think (sighs) there's obviously a lot of merit to things that they have done. Mm -hmm. And while, I mean, look, I'm like you, I think the last time I watched South Park regularly would have been, I mean, it's been over a decade since I watched it regularly. And in the time since then, I can probably count on like both hands and both feet, the number of episodes that I have seen Mm. Um, that might be selling a little short, but I I mean, there are a lot of reactionary things to them, but as we'll get into when we discuss this, I'm sure there have been plenty of times where I, I just talked about one on my show recently, which I'll get to when we start talking about it, but there have been times where they have been not reactionary and have had some very smart sort of ways that they view things. And I feel like Mm -hmm. just writing them off as reactionary because of some of their shittier qualities is selling them a little bit short.
1: Yeah, no one is ever going to get things 100% right. And um, I do, the one thing I can always say about South Park is, uh, and uh, Stone and Parker is that they will never pander. Uh, Just when you think like they are set in a certain thing. They're kind of um, very immature and at times ill-thought-out both sides them. The thing about it is they really have no loyalties, and that's sometimes (laughs) the, like, it's, to to quote It's Always Sunny, which I've been doing a lot of lately, wildcard, bitches! (laughs) (laughs) So before we dive, though, into our big history of uh, Stone and Parker We want to dive into peak you. So, um, Eric, you're new to the show. The tradition here is for us to tell about a time in our life that is, you know, peak you. So past examples include our dear friend Helen training her cat to turn off the light switch. The um, notably short Steve Sadak thinking he was very good at basketball because he had a very tall two-on-two partner. And of course, Mint delivering a drunken lecture about the OC. So, Eric, I ask you, can you tell us about a moment in your life that was peak Eric?
0: Well, this one sort of ties into what I do now with uh, my show and music and my like nostalgia for like physical albums and CDs. And because I had to think about this one, because like I could tell some story from college where I did something like drunk and dumb, but like, that's not me anymore. You know, I am 41 mm-hmm. now. I don't do things like that. Um, so for me, it would be uh, skipping school, knowing that I was going to be getting most likely a an out of school suspension at this point, because I had used up (laughs) my suspension days in high school. And I did this more than once. But specifically, I remember doing it for the soundtrack for now. Actually, I'm kind of mixing it up. It was either Batman Forever or The Crow, but like literally leaving school to go buy (laughs) one of those albums. And instead of waiting until after school to, to do so, it was like the day of release and uh because i used to you know i used to get really into like the tuesday releases and Mm -hmm. um back when that was a thing and uh you know big big cd collector back in the day and yeah so peak me especially tying into like what i'm doing on my show is knowing that old jim limmerman the (laughs) dean of students was going to give me that really disappointed look over his humongous handlebar mustache and (laughs) give me a uh, two day out of school suspension for skipping school to go buy a soundtrack for, like I said, I believe it was Batman forever uh, at the time. So yeah, that would be, that would be peak me because that that's something that I would still do. Whereas my like wild drug days from college are things that I would not do anymore.
1: (laughs) Oh man. Your mention of Tuesday releases though. Like God, I do miss like, it's kind of like how I've, I've talked about my love of a lot of Apple TV originals enough on this podcast, but just the fact that they're released, like, weekly uh, and having a weird, like, day in the week to look forward to, especially as it relates to a new piece of media, is such a wonderful feeling that I'm glad, like, we are able to still have to some degree in our lives because, like... um I think it was a book release recently because, like, I live in a very small town, but we do have one tiny little wonderful bookstore. And I was, you know, at work and I was like, oh, I'm going to head over to the bookstore at lunch to grab this thing, this book that's being released. And then I came back. It's like, no, never mind. It's being released on Thursday. And they're like, why did you not check? I'm like, because I really I still thought all books were released on Tuesdays. Like, <laughs> that's that's a thing. Like, um, so, yeah, um. I I think that's wonderful that you did that. I was uh not a school skipper at all. Like I was a, I I loved rules and following them as a teenager. <laughs> so, um you uh you have my admiration, Eric.
0: Thanks, thanks.
1: Um so now before we dive into the history of uh Matt and Trey, I want to dive a little bit into your history with them. So, can you tell me about your history with them when you started watching, maybe when you branched outside of South Park and kind of, um, you know, how did you follow their career?
0: Okay, so I actually had to look this up before we recorded because I couldn't remember if it was my junior or senior year, but South Park South Park debuted like one week before my 17th birthday oh, wow. and before my senior year of high school um, because my first day, first day of school was almost... Historically, my birthday as well. Back when I was in school, because I went oh, okay. with late August birthdays, and so it debuted right before that. So, seventeen-year-old Northwest Ohio high school student, it was like the perfect, the perfect sort of moment for that show to release and to find me because it was, you know, I and I mean, this is we're talking about those early episodes where it was just like, you know, those first couple seasons are so different mm-hmm. than. <laughs> everything that came after that and it was you know when i was 17 i mean i was uh, you know i was interested in politics i was i mean but my interest in politics back then was like i was happy bill clinton was president you know like that was that oh was, yeah yeah which and, and, and in northwest ohio that's basically like having been like a communist living in Northwest <laughs> ohio as a 17 year old you know so like as, oh, I, yeah. as i pushed further to the left and got older and started paying attention more to like getting really you know extensively into politics and the world um and then watching them sort of branch out and start doing these sort of you know uh socially conscious even if it wasn't always hitting the mark their attempts at doing something that was like socially conscious um episodes and these these themes that they were touching on that were more than just like i killed you know or, or you know they killed kenny and it, it was it was cool to watch it change and grow and uh, up through like the South Park movie, and then seeing you know, and then and then going back and discovering things like I remember when Orgasmo came out, it made a bunch of waves because it was this NC-17. Mm-hmm. But at the time, and I had to look this up too. I didn't realize that those basically released at the exact same time as well. Like South Park and Orgasmo basically came out at the exact same time. And I remember like at the video store seeing Orgasmo on the shelf and it being like from the creators of South Park and being like, oh my god, I didn't know that they did this. And mm-hmm. working my way back to Cannibal. And uh, eventually, it hit a point where um, I-, I was already by this point not really as into South Park. It was just kind of happening. Yeah. And I ended up I dated I-, I dated this girl where we had for a few years, and we lived together for like a year and a half, and we didn't have cable. We just decided to mm. forego cable. And so that was the end of me watching South Park. It really wasn't like I just one day was like, I'm I'm too old for this, I'm too grown for this. It was, it came down to I didn't have TV, I didn't have cable. So it's hard to say how much longer I would have stuck with it. But by the time, you know, two years later, I was like after you know her and I broke up and I was back in my own place and I had cable. And uh it just it just never became a part of my regular viewing. But prior to that, it was a like Every Wednesday night, it was a Wednesday or Thursday. I might be confusing. I believe it was Wednesday nights. Wednesday night, it was like an appointment thing. Like, I've got to watch South Park. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, I, I think really for me, it comes down to that show came along at a time in my life where it was like the perfect thing for me being, like I said, just a kid from Northwest Ohio. Uh, 17 years old, just starting his senior year. It was so, at the time, it seemed so subversive and it seemed so... Oh, yeah. yeah and, and, then, and, then, and then watching it grow and try to, again, even though they didn't hit the mark often, but trying to, feeling like they were saying something important or trying to say something that, that mattered through that same sort of scatological humor that they had. But so, yeah, I, I, I will always sort of have a soft spot for matt and trey and south park just based on the like nostalgia factor that i feel for the show and and some of their projects that they've done but that was my relationship with south park it just pretty much came at the perfect point in my life
1: Mm -hmm. um did you get into book of mormon when it came out
0: okay book of mormon is it's not a blind spot for me i have seen book of mormon approximately one time Mm -hmm. and i know the music pretty well Well, um music's amazing yeah it's incredible Uh, as far as that goes, I've only seen it once, but it's great. It is great. It's just something yeah. that I have not seen more than one time.
1: Well, and it's a thing that this this is going to sound weird because when you listen to the the music, it shouldn't be this way, but it has, and we'll we'll certainly get into it. I feel like it, despite the fr- you know from the guys who brought you South Park marketing, it really stand like kind of escapes being immortalized as a Matt Stone Trey Parker gig like um, you know it's not kind of like team America where you think of it and you think Matt Stone and Trey Parker um, because tonally you know and, and that you know I think they owe a lot to Robert Lopez in that uh, in that regard but tonally um, it was able to be elevated above that which I think is what's given it a lot of that a lot of its longevity.
0: Yeah. And and I I mean, even the most, I feel like even the most ardent like Matt and Trey and South Park haters, you're going to find quite a large percentage who like Book of Mormon.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, being a competitive dance teacher, what is crazy is see, going to competitions and like seeing musical theater numbers with like 10 to 12 year olds doing hello. Um <laughs> I, that's probably the one song from that you can do. Uh, I was going to say. <laughs> mus- like, I would love to see them do, you know, Spooky Demon, Mormon, Hell, or whatever. But, um, <laughs> so um, for me, um, it is a common theme on peak show uh, that I was allowed to watch inappropriate material far too early. I saw The Shining when I was eight. I became obsessed with Danny DeVito in kindergarten. Uh, I was raised by The Simpsons. I saw Scream when I was six few things have horrified more people than the fact that I watched South Park the first season it came out. Um, so you were, uh, you know, around 16, 17, I would have been, I was born in 1989.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I would have been like, I'm eight. always the old one on these.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm always the young one <laughs> unless, unless friend of the show Liz is on and then I'm old as dirt. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I was eight years old. I mean, I had an older sister. She was 13. Um, I think that we actually got them on, got the first season episodes on VHS, like they sold the VHSs, because it was actually pretty, for a while, hard to get in Canada. We did not have Comedy Central. Um, They went, uh, there was eventually a syndication deal with the Comedy Network, which is owned by Bell Media. But um, yeah, I, I think the first season, those VHS tapes came out, and my brother and I watched it. And then... I saw Bigger Longer Uncut in theaters when it came out. I was 10. Um and for the record, for all the shit I kind of lobbed my parents away on this podcast about letting me watch inappropriate shows. Um, Bigger, Longer and Uncut was one of the first things that actually I think did give my parents pause and cause them the question of shit, are we exposing <laughs> our kids like to the wrong stuff? Um and it was for the record though, like I said, I loved rules and following them. It was actually my brother who kind of ruined it for us because like he he was ten, I want to say, when it came out. Like he was, a, he's a couple years older than me. He j- he could not stop singing "Uncle Fucker" after that movie. <laughs> um, and I I was you know just smart enough to know no, I shouldn't be repeating this. Like I understood that in particular that song was funny because it was excessive, and it was funny because it was kind of unfunny. So, um, sometime between then and high school, I did also watch basketball. I want to say like middle school was basketball. I know they weren't involved in the creation of basketball, but um that was a favorite of mine, and it actually still is, even though it's not regarded as a good movie. Um, I think the reason I have a lot of affection for it is because it was my gateway to two things. It was my gateway to airplane, and it was my gateway to <laughs> ska. <laughs> Both of which have made me a far worse person.
0: I, I love basketball. Oh, I thank you. I love basketball. It's funny. It's a funny, funny movie. And you see, and yeah, I I've said before. Uh, on my show and multiple times twitter everywhere that a huge huge influence for my sense of humor i actually just watched it with my girlfriend last week and she's never seen it before and that is um the first naked gun like Mm -hmm. that was like Uh. one of the like most influential things on who i am as a person as an adult as far as my sense of humor goes so yeah it's it's unfortunate that david zucker ended up the way that he did following uh you know he he after 911 he's one yeah. of those guys who kind of got pushed way far to the right yeah. but um you know, airplane, top secret, the naked gun, all three naked gun movies, police squad, like there was just a tremendous, and basketball, in basketball. So you you were, if anyone tells you that you're wrong for liking basketball, you tell them they're wrong because basketball is very funny.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and again, we'll elaborate more on this, but I actually always forget that basketball is like that they weren't involved in the creative process of basketball at all. Um, not just because of the, the Dion Bacar of it all, but also because of like just certain things in the writing, like. The the song that is playing in the cab you love is spinning out of control. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 very much totally a Matt and Trey thing. Like I I don't know, there had to be some some creative input there. I think, but um.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I actually had to double check going into this whether or not they had anything, because I couldn't remember whether or not they had like, even if it was just like punching up the script or Mm -hmm. adding their own. And uh, yeah, they're not credited as writers anywhere on there. So unless it's like some big secret, they.
1: I feel like if they had done like an uncredited rewrite or something, they would have mentioned it by now. Like they are not shy with talking about like how they feel about certain things. And they've kind of. I don't know. I don't want to say they've distanced themselves from basketball, but they've kind of been like, oh, yeah, that was the period when we were we were taking any job. Um, So, um, yeah, so I did see like I didn't follow South Park that closely throughout high school. You know, just I was always dancing and doing my fucking homework like I didn't follow any TV show particularly strongly through (laughs) high school, but I did see Team America in theaters and. I loved it when it was in theaters, and then kind of promptly forgot about it. But it was um, one of the first things I saw that really countered like the country fried patriotism that had really been permeating pop culture at that point. Um, I think the reason I kind of like my fascination with Team America was very short lived because even that was when I started to find their shtick a little obnoxious because it's like it was that the first time like oh they really like to have it both ways these guys like um, they like you know you war is bad and we're using this movie to say war is bad but also opposing war is bad um for no reason at all like they just these people are annoying so um the only time i i can recall consistently watching South Park was actually when i was in university um i was dating a guy who was a bit of an i'm smarter than everyone stoner um that tracks i guess um (laughs) like you i did not have cable i was you know i was in my poor days but south park is such a dvd show for some people and that was just one of those like you know oh we're we're stoned and eating pizza let's put south park on um and i do recall at that point i that was the point when i found south park actually very unfunny um it was on a pretty reactionary track it had episodes like the human Sentai pad was like kind of what i remember being really turned off by it's um Weirdly, this complaint came up in our M Night Shyamalan episode, but I will say you can apply it to certain episodes of South Park, where the episode is really just a conceit, like it's just this one idea, and and like let's try to build a plot on it, and it runs out of gas very quickly.
0: There are a lot of episodes for them that are like that, yeah, Um, especially in that era. Yeah, and like there was a time where now you know, even at that point, I I think I was still pretty on board with south park but i believe that would have been at the time that like you i was like eh, it's mm-hmm. it, it's it's starting to lose its luster here yeah. you know really the only show that's managed to may, remain consistently funny for a multitude of seasons you already covered on here and that's it's always sunny <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> well thank you um i will say even though the quality of it is awful king of the hill might be uh pretty close but also y- you know, 12 seasons isn't exactly a short run, but uh, they did know when to call it a day, that show. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I wasn't, I was completely uninterested when I heard about Book of Mormon, but then I heard some of the music. I was like, oh, wow, this is really, really good. So um, I, when I t- finally came to Toronto through Mervish Productions, I was really excited. And um, I actually like the Mervish theaters I used to work down the street from. So I just like, very casually went over after work and going to a show by myself, which is one of the things I miss about the city. I was like, you know what? These guys still got it. But um, yeah, like a lot of other long running shows, I've accepted that South Park will kind of always be there. Um, mm-hmm. The landscape feels so different now that engaging with South Park feels like waters that I don't always want to wade into. Like I can watch it, but I'm like, I don't want to be part of the discourse, you know? <laughs>
0: Oh, I, I avoid, well, and again, like I, it's, there's always something I feel like people look to blame particularly here. Well, I don't know. Maybe I'm saying, I guess I was going to speak without knowing what I was talking about. I was going to (laughs) say it's very prevalent here in America. I was going to say particularly in America, but I don't know. I could be wrong. This could be a, a Canadian thing and you know, all over, but America tends to have a thing. And you're seeing it right now with the, um, shooting in texas where they're going to point to anything but the actual source of the problem Mm -hmm. and so like i remember after trump got elected seeing like I've seen think pieces about how like Matt and Trey are the reason that we're where we are now. And it's like, that's, that's just as reactionary as anything that they've ever done. Because while, while some of their politics are extremely shitty and like, they may have taught a bunch of kids to be sort of nihilistic because you're completely right about team America. I still really like team America because it's a little closer for me. uh, Like rural Ohio, Mm
1: -hmm. you know,
0: um, post nine eleven was like, if you even so much as like questioned the Iraq war, you were a traitor. Yeah. You were a, and you know, the funny thing is, I remember, you know, for six months after 9 11, I went into a gas station and it's like one of those things I'll never forget. I walked into a gas station and they had patriotic items, 75% uh. off because people had stopped buying that shit. So, like, team america for me (laughs) what stage of capitalism is this (laughs) (laughs) yeah i remember being and i knew it was going to go that way i remember after the whole thing happened like my friends and i talking and being like this this like patriotism that you're seeing now this like chest thumping patriotism that like put toby keith at the top of the charts this shit's not going to last because people are going to move on to something else and this idea that like we're all together in this first of all we never were because if you were not a white if you were a you know brown person in America at the time that that happened you were not considered a part of everything by the people who were these chest thumping America people and uh-huh. um you know but I I remember saying like pretty much that's the 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 hatred for different people is pretty much the only thing that's going to stick around once this <laughs> all goes away and uh so team America even though it does take shots at like you said it, it is very like, one of the big complaints about it is it's super nihilistic and it is like mm. there's no like both sides they're both sides in it in a situation where they probably should not have been because if the whole point is as you said war is bad well people protesting the war are also bad that doesn't make a whole lot of sense yeah. it's mainly down to their whole hatred of like celebrities and liberals too so yeah um that's what that boils down to but I, I you know i will always sort of have a soft spot for team america despite that
1: Yeah. um, I think overall, like, my experience with it was good. And also, like, and this is, like, the bummer that has come up on a weird number of podcasts, especially this season. I saw it in theaters with my friend Kyla, um, who passed away three years ago, very suddenly. And it, it... Every piece of media that I consumed with her has become like amplified in my brain because it was often that she was the only person who would go and see shit like that with me. And um, I just remember the feeling of us both losing our shit in in our seats because, again, we were like 15 at the time. So America, fuck yeah. It was like, it was everything you could imagine because, I mean, I wasn't experiencing it firsthand, but I was... And, you know, I'll say you can track like you can correlate the rise and fall of country fried patriotism with the um ratings of American Idol. Like I think American Idol is the <laughs> kind of modern uh that, that kind of modern pro-war propaganda um thing. I I did actually live in a military-based town when I was um a teenager. There is a military base in North Bay. Um but just because of the age I was at the time, like I was not even in high school when the Iraq War started. So I didn't have friends who were fucking like you know signing signing up for joining the military because it was their only shot at it, or they thought it was their only shot a debt-free life so <laughs> it didn't affect me firsthand the same way um which might be why maybe it dwindled from my memory a little bit more quickly but man the experience of watching it in the theater i was like this is fucking brilliant like
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i was you know i was a well, it's what, Team America was 2004, if I'm remembering correctly. So, Fall 2004, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, you know, I was between the ages of 22 and 24, you know, a lefty. Now, granted, I was in a college town at the time. So there was a <laughs> lot more friendly. I wasn't in my hometown. But, you know, um, I remember being out. I just recently, I was out taking a walk and ran across some of the girls from my high school out protesting the abortion ban here that's upcoming in the US. All and, right. uh, you know, I don't talk politics with the kids at school, just because it's yeah. the type of town where like, it, I don't care. But it's literally <laughs> the type of town where like parents, I could see some weird right wing parent, like trying to get me fired for, you know, so I walk by and they're like, Mr. Peacock, do you are you pro choice? And I'm like, yeah, of course, you know, like, oh. <laughs> and I told him, I'm like, look, you're gonna have people who are going to ride by here and they're going to call you awful things. Just mm-hmm. be ready for that. And you don't let them give you any shit. And that comes from the experience of me standing out protesting the Iraq war and people coming by and calling us traitors. And, you know, the worst things you could imagine. And that's like, that's like tame. Um, The worst mm-hmm. things you could imagine. And uh, so, you know, seeing something that was a pushback to those types of assholes was like relevatory for me. Mm-hmm. And then of course, seeing it, even though, like I said, the politics were very confused, but then seeing it after it came out on DVD and seeing the uncut version, which has maybe the hardest I've ever laughed at anything during the extended love scene where all of a sudden it cuts (laughs) to them shitting on one another. Like, it's just, it's, it's, Look, there's something on a very gut level that is very funny about that to oh, me. Absolutely. Uh, so it's like I said, they they've always done this like scatological humor that has something to say, even if what they're saying is wildly inaccurate or wildly incorrect often. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it was it hit a little harder for me, I guess. Again, and again, you know, that comes down to possibly the age there you know like i was at the age where i was out protesting and i was out getting called the worst names you could imagine Mm. and it was like this feels safe and fun to laugh at those type of people in this
1: i was a dumb canadian teenager in many ways (laughs) there's there's still a big part of me that's a dumb canadian teenager but uh uh so (laughs) as i was looking at their history and um you know i don't know kind of what class they were growing up they seem very middle class but i will say Mm. that much like the it's always sunny guys you know like three guys from you know alabama uh philadelphia and boston i do feel like these are kind of like uh some of the last like non-nepotism babies in hollywood who could create a successful show um you know start something up play by their own rules write something that made was like south park is very much written for themselves um so i do respect that it's it's Funny, though, that I am far more affectionate for it when it comes to Sonny than um, Stone and Parker, which is probably just because sometimes they say shit that personally offends me. Ultimately, uh, on a kind of philosophical level, I do respect it in the same regard. Um, So in terms of their history, they're both Gen X babies. Um, I really love uh, Trey Parker's full name. Because this is so fucking waspy, Randolph Severn, Trey Parker the Third. Because um, it's it's I gotta say it's weird how many people do not know that Trey means you're a third. There are a lot of people who do not know that, and it's uh-huh. bizarre to me. Uh, and Matthew Richard Stone, so born in 1969, nice, and 1971, <laughs> respectively, both raised in Colorado, both expressed a love for music and film at a young age. And um, Parker spent a year at uh, Berkeley School of Music, then transferred to UC Boulder, which is where they met in film class, bonded over their love of Monty Python. Um, they began collaborating on numerous short films and projects often uh, with fellow collaborator Jason McHugh throughout their student projects. these uh, This included titles such as Giant Beavers of Southern Sri Lanka, Men on Mars, and Job Application. Parker eventually developed uh, the construction paper animation technique while working on the uh, short animated film American History. Um, besides Cannibal, which we'll talk about, have you watched any of these shorts?
0: I've only seen American History. The others I have not.
1: So Giant Beavers of Southern Sri Lanka, I saw... Um, like when YouTube first became a thing uh, in, I want to say, 2005. Um, and I watched it again uh, just a couple of days ago to see if I'd feel any differently. I'm struggling to put myself in the shoes of someone who would have found this funny. Um, <laughs> like, I I love very awkward parodies. Like, um, my favorite awkward parody is Kung Pao Enter the Fist. Um, but I think the best parody has to be done with a great deal of affection for the genre, which I think that's kind of where the disconnect is with Giant Beavers of Southern Sri Lanka. Um I don't know uh, how starved people were, though, for those parodies, because, like, this was 1989. Like, I, I do not know what the cultural context was in 1989. Um, I do love, when I watch it, though, I love hearing, like, the beginning of some of their key South Park voices. Like, you can hear a little bit of the Cartman. You can hear a little bit of the Kyle. Um, I kind of liked American History. The, the crudeness, obviously, is part of the appeal. Um, Parker seems really proud of the fact that American History beat out CalArts, Disney for the student academy with this piece it's it's unsurprising that he kind of gets off on it like it's the begin the very beginning of like ha take that sincerity
0: I was going to say that the fact that I did not know that that was something he was proud of but mm-hmm. that tracks as you said earlier that tracks oh yeah. Um, yeah like they were so pissed I'm like yeah I'm sure they were <laughs> <laughs> but american history is good i enjoyed that
1: yeah um i it kind of reminds me of like even though this very much predates it but like the early internet like End of the world, uh, kind of e bombs world type videos, um, but I would I say even more impressive because it's the early '90s. Um, one of the things, because um, I in my past life was a marketing reporter, and I love looking at the different phases of American North American pop culture through the lens of marketing and um, and also what we were watching on TV the early 90s if you look at a lot of the media and marketing it was so still still so sincere like the mid 90s was when things got like kind of edgy and self-referential and then obviously we know post 9/11 things got very sincere again and now we're in this really postmodern edgy era again but like that's why i feel like american history appealed the way it did because we didn't have a lot of that cynicism yet like even the simpsons was still in its very sincere days so um this was actually i think pretty edgy back then and um i think it's a precursor of why south park has seemingly thrived the most when american pop culture is at a moment of sincerity
0: well and that is a hallmark of gen x right there (laughs) honestly gen x was like the and i'm like so i was born in 1980 so i'm at that age where like if they call this like zillennials or whatever i'm like Uh, right on the cusp of like millennial. i don't care like that stuff (laughs) is like all noise to me um but you know gen x's whole thing was like cynicism and like Mm -hmm. nothing matters and um you know you see it uh in a lot of their work and uh for better or worse you see that in a lot of their work and Mm -hmm. you know that cynicism was like i said what you're seeing is like the that's gen x's calling card so Mm -hmm. them being like extremely gen x and then it's not all gen xers obviously um yeah shit there was a soda that sprite or coke or whatever tried marketing a soda called okay soda in the u.s that was like you know it was like supposed to play to their indifference like whatever okay you know and uh yeah i mean that's gen x is a pretty strange generation and again i'm not saying that like i'm right on the cusp so like most of my friends are like a couple years older than me so they're like gen x um but it's a very strange generation, uh, kind of where they fit into the grand scheme of things. And yeah, I think that's what you're seeing there with that cynicism that, like I said, is sort of reared its head in um, various ways throughout their careers is, mm-hmm. is very much their Gen X coming through.
1: Yeah. I never talk about this on the podcast. I I barely talk about this online because I don't like to draw a lot of attention to it. But um, my husband was born in 1973. So we have a 16-year age difference. Even the term age gap feels gross. Um, (laughs) And and, like I always have to go through the disclaimer of like, he doesn't have a pattern of dating other women. He'd never been married before. He didn't have a kid. It was just a weird, we met at work, we hit it off, whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. But 1973, that is kind of like the cross-section of Gen X um mm. and also being born in the uk as well and so he has that like kind of um english punk thing uh going on but i often like he is my market research guy for gen x <laughs> um it's really funny because he is one of the people who can say like oh yeah i was in theaters to see darth vader say he was luke skywalker's father and like how that hit. um yeah. and um but then also to he was so like Weirdly okay with like the um, the Luke Skywalker uh, not de aging the whatever the way they I forget what the term is for I I just call it, it foolishness uh, in <laughs> um, in Book of Boba Fett and he was like weirdly fine with it and I'm just like oh is this like kind of the positive side effect of the whole Gen X doesn't care about anything thing like you <laughs> all because that's the other thing millennials we are incredibly possessive over pop culture sometimes and the whole like pop culture as my identity type of thing and um, it's weird because sometimes when I look at some of the things with um, with South Park um, even uh, or Orgasmo it's almost like they have this knowledge which is of like this wasn't meant to be beloved or beholden to you forever this is not meant to be your identity this is just a funny fucking mm-hmm. thing for you to laugh at like I don't know I, I think it's something that I have to get a little more cynical to watch um, because otherwise like my generation and and i can definitely i i feel this way like we kind of identify ourselves very strongly with what we consume media wise
0: oh yeah well I, you know I, one thing i do want to say is mm-hmm. that your your husband not minding how luke looked in mandalorian is um not Necessarily, the Gen X not caring thing. It just means that you have a pretty chill husband. Because I know he is the chillest guy I know. (laughs) Yeah, I know tons of Gen Xers who were like, you would have thought that like they had come to their house and like shot their dog. Like you know, like oh, how could they do that to Those people
1: Um, but probably need to calm down a little bit.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. I, I look. I went through my cynical phase. I, I'm kind of glad I got it out of my system. I, it's funny because I can track my cynical face. And maybe this is a part of why South Park stopped appealing to me so much. Um, but, uh, you know, early 20s uh, to, like, 23, 24, probably. I was, like, the, like, most cynical. Like, movies are stupid now and music sucks now. And then, like, one day, I can trace it to, to a particular moment. I was at the record store in... Because I, I grew up on pop music and stuff. I was born in 1980. Mm-hmm. We have a similar background as far as like being able to watch whatever we wanted, by the way. I was going yeah. to th- just to go back to this real quick. But I've, I lived around the corner from a video store. So oh, like, growing awesome. up, yeah, it was great. And like, they would like, you know, hook me up because I was just a kid. But like my parents were basically like, he can write whatever he wants as long as it doesn't have boobs or something. You know, I was like, they're, <laughs> that was where they drew the line. Uh, excessive boobs, I guess, because um, every horror movie I liked had had them some at some point. Uh, but. You know, um, you know, like, I could go and rent... And I grew up on, like... I was born in 1980. So, like, the boom of, like, Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street. So, like, I'm such a horror guy all- still to this day. Like, I've seen every mm-hmm. bottom of the barrel slasher and I just love horror. I, I live and breathe horror movies. Uh, Halloween's my favorite time of year. But um, my, you know, you know I, was, I was allowed to watch whatever I wanted. And so, growing up... And same with music, too. You know, my parents let me get... My one that my... F- my my parents trigger my mom's trigger was strangely enough silence of the lambs i had to wait till i was 13 to watch that one that was the one that she was like no 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 (laughs) but so growing up you know i i love pop music i grew up with prince and madonna and like prince is still like my favorite person who's ever walked the planet and um one day now i'm not comparing who i'm talking about here but i guess (laughs) learning to embrace what i like i was at the record store one day and i hear this song playing and i'm like what is this? And it was uh, Sugar We're Going Down by Fallout Boy. And That's I was like, this one. is, uh, it's great. I was like, this is so catchy. And I was like, I'm going to buy this, but I'm not going to let anyone know that I'm buying it because I knew who they were. <laughs> and uh, and it was just like one day I was like, fuck it. Why do I care about this? Like what I like. And so like, I, thankfully I shook that off yeah. in like my mid twenties. And I'll tell you, I'm a much happier person for it. Yeah. And, but there is like a, a cynicism that runs in, you know, generationally, it's not just you said. It's just millenn- It's a millennial thing. It's not. Um, <laughs> every generation has their cynicism and like they're protective of these things. And uh, yeah, like I said, it just sounds like your husband is is particularly chill about not caring about the Star Wars thing because I know a lot of people who are not chill about that.
1: He is incredibly chill. Um, he also was kind enough. He was he was in the city to work today, and I told him, "Oh, right. Can you please like be really quiet when you come home because I'm recording today." And I. <laughs> I did hear our garage door and he's just like very lovingly keeping to himself in our living room. And I just, Jared, I know you're going to listen to this. I love you so much. Um, So, but you know. Give Jared I, a
0: high five for me when you're done.
1: We high it. five like, just a say this lot. is for Eric. So, okay. Um, so, but it's funny because one of the things with sincerity, because like I always accuse Parker and Stone of being like very cynical creators. And, you know, they're when they founded their production company with McHugh and Ian Harden of Engine Conscience... They produced, you know, technically the first South Park shoot uh, short, Jesus versus Frosty, in which Cartman uh-huh. was named Kenny and died, which was pretty cool.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but I like to think of the kind of, um, there was a bit of a sense of bewilderment, I think, that led them to create uh, Cannibal, uh, originally Alfred Packer, the musical, um, which was, you know, after a real-life prospector, Alfred Packer, who was suspected of being a cannibal. So they they made it, you know, first into a fake trailer and then one of their profs loved it so much they convinced them to turn it into a full-length film which became Cannibal the Musical. It was sold to Troma in 1996 and eventually prompted kind of their move to LA and their their propulsion into Hollywood, sort of. But I, I feel like it was, you know, I forget if it was Stoner Parker, but one of them just like became obsessed with Alfred Packer and decided like, this would be <laughs> amazing to, you know, write a fake musical about. And that's, I love sweet stories like that because Mm -hmm. I have, I can very much identify with like having this niche interest and just wanting to create something fun about it. Like why the fuck not? And that's where I think like that. I think it's the same mentality that led them to create a full episode and then a musical about Joseph Smith and Mormonism (laughs) is like, I find this fascinating and I want to create something about it. And When they've done that, I think they that's been them at their best.
0: Oh, and I look, Cannibal is like I Matt and Trey could like become the most evil people who've ever lived, and like Mm -hmm. I could do away. Okay, I'll never watch South Park again, I will never throw away Cannibal the musical on DVD. It will, it is one of those. I love it, it is so funny, and yeah, you know, they were just, I mean, at that point, you know, they were. I mean, just kids basically. Um, Oh, yeah. And, and, uh, you know, just what they managed to pull off with that movie, it was like a, you could tell it was like a labor of love. And I love, like, it wears its low budget charms on its sleeve. One of my favorite jokes in that movie is, um, you know, that they, okay, so like the ton of the low budget stuff is just like, there it's not something they point out but making a joke out of it with the fact that they couldn't find they didn't and i've said in the commentary like they just didn't know any native americans on their universe at their campus Mm -hmm. so using the their japanese friend to play the native american character due to lack of budget Mm -hmm. is one of those jokes that like it's you're taking your terrible budget and turning it into sort of a gag within the movie and that that's one of those things that like it just cracks me up went that they managed to like make like lemonade out of lemons basically as far as that goes
1: i also think that's a very funny joke because that there are so many um like quote-unquote real productions that will do that and it's not a joke Um, right like i mean even like like let's not even pretend brown faces this thing of the past because my favorite bad movie butterfly effect uh literally (laughs) just took a white guy and made him hispanic uh for the the prison scenes uh, for no reason like really you could not find a latino actor um and they literally like put put the bronzer on them and so like i i have seen this like even how many casting a- notices have i looked at that say asian to play japanese
0: like yes yeah yeah or or you know you see a lot of going the opposite way too like they'll take like a latino actor or actress and um use them to play like a native American role. Cause that's, yeah. that's one of those ones that they constantly shuffle in and out. Like, well, it's close enough. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's, it's poking fun at that while at the same time being something they had to do mm-hmm. out of necessity because of lack of budgets and lack of who they knew just kind of had to do this with their friends. And uh, yeah, that's always been one of those things that like, I've always thought was like, you know, it's it's part of the low budget charm of that movie and in no way, you know, it doesn't do it in a way that's like, <laughs> Because a joke like that, you have to tread carefully, I think, mm-hmm. you know, like you you could easily venture into like this is offensive, but like it never really hits that point with that character. Yeah. And I think they managed to thread that needle very well, whereas I think a few years later, they probably would have tried to go for that sort of, you know what I mean? Like yep. they would have tried to go that route. So, uh Yeah. I agree, though. When they're doing something that they particularly – you can tell that they particularly love. Because, I honestly, I feel like at this point, South Park is just like a um, thing they have to do. You
1: know? Like, oh, yeah. It's it's what's keeping the lights in Trey Parker's five houses on.
0: Um. <laughs> well, they've threatened to end the show – not threatened, but they've like – I mean, for 20 years now, they've been like, yeah, probably going to end it soon. Yeah. And like, here it still goes, so –
1: who, Well, to, to quote Troy McClure, which I often do, uh, who knows what will happen between now and when the show becomes unprofitable. Um, <laughs> but so obviously, like, that was what led them to LA. They didn't exactly get rich right away. They struggled for a couple of years. But it was David Zucker, who was a fan of Cannibal the Musical, who commissioned them to do a short film for Seagram's after its acquisition of Universal Studios. Um, have you seen this short, Your Studio and You?
0: No, no, that I have not Aww. seen. And I honestly that one caught that actually caught me off guard because I didn't know that.
1: So yeah, and this this kind of was like their one of their little connections. I don't I I don't think there was one thing that really propelled them. There was kind of like a few little things that happened at once, but this was definitely what got them on the radar of Zucker. Um it was it's kind of it like one of those parody old like 1940s style information films um you know the uh los angeles california and it's very much like (laughs) making fun of all the terrible things that they hate about la because i do think they hate la um oh yeah i mean they hate everything but um it's (laughs) um it's about a 15 minute thing i would say like you get what the joke is after the first 30, uh, 60 seconds, maybe. It's on YouTube. Um, it reminds me a lot of the, a set piece that um, they used to do sometimes in South Park. They used to do a lot in Simpsons. Um, when they stopped doing it in The Simpsons, uh, the the film strip set piece, it was because of the death of Phil Hartman and you can't would know, establish that Troy McClure was a key part of those that set piece. But with other things like South Park, I feel like the informational film strip set piece has kind of faded away simply because that humor just isn't cool anymore like it's a little too far gone from the cultural lexicon to effectively make fun of anymore
0: right it's one of those things that like kids now at you know again again i say this having experience because i um during the winter, I am surrounded by children at my at my various jobs that I teach, and like every once in a while, there will be something that comes on, and they'll be like, "Mr. Peacock, what was that all about?" I'm like, God, I'm so old, you know. Like it's like so, and, and and I I feel like that would be one of those things that would be lost upon anyone born within the last like fifteen years, even
1: probably, um, yeah. Like I when I teach teenagers, there are certain like you know jokes I'll make, and I'm like, oh right, like this doesn't work as a joke anymore like <laughs> um but yeah, so it was around that time they were able to successfully uh, raise financing to produce their script for orgasmo, thanks to backing from a uh, Japanese porn distribution company Cookie um, <laughs> It was a box office bomb due to them not being able to successfully get it down to an R rating. At pretty much the same time, it was when Jesus vs. Frosty was discovered by former Fox exec Brian Graydon, who paid the guys to create an animated Christmas card, which would later be known as Jesus versus Santa. Um, both were shopped around to various networks as a potential series. Fox passed. MTV and Comedy Central uh, showed interest. They eventually chose Comedy Central as the home of what would later be known as South Park. Um, so... Before we dive hard into South Park, this was also around when basketball happened. Um, So again, like I said, they kind of semi-denounced the movie and they said it was because they took roles for anything that they were offering during that time, which kind of reminds me of like the Merkin, Bill and Josh era of The Simpsons of like, we always thought it was going to be canceled. We thought this was going to flop. So, um, but yeah, I have this huge soft spot for basketball. So let's talk about basketball and and why we love it.
0: Well, okay. First of all, I want to say that one of the things I love about basketball is that on top of being a funny movie, it Actually sells the concept of basketball really well. It does. I wanted basketball to be a real thing. Yeah. Like I was wanted it to catch on and be like something that, like, even if it were just like underground leagues, like people that play cornhole around here, you know. Like <laughs> I wanted it to be one of those things where like maybe there were a little offshoot basketball leagues somewhere, but no, it never happened. It makes um, you
1: want to play it so badly.
0: Yes. It's, I think it's also one of the other things that I love about that movie is you get to see Trey Parker making whatever face it is that he makes when he does the Cartman voice. Like that just kills me. But look, it's one of those very late 90s movies. Like, there, where, and by that I mean, um, it, that movie could have only been made in the late 90s. Like yes. I feel like that you'd, basketball could have never happened five years earlier or five years later, uh, with or without Matt or Trey. But it's the, the humor is i and now i say this it has been a few years since i've watched since i've watched basketball but i still remember i just i'm always worried i'm always reticent to say that it's aged well because i don't know if there's any humor in there that perhaps now i'd be like oh because it's look with my show that's one of those things i have to deal with a lot too Mm -hmm. watching movies from the 90s even all the way up to gardens well probably later than the most recent one that made me kind of like was Garden State where they just casually drop the R word, and I'm like, shit! I oh, did God, not realize yeah. that was something they were still doing in like 2003. You know? Um, oh, we so- were just
1: saying on the last episode, like Mean Girls did it. Like that's yeah. <laughs> we love Mean Girls, but my God!
0: <laughs> and that's look. I feel like it's just one of those things too, where like I've I said it on the show too, where like. It's monster squad. I love the monster squad, but monster squad uses all kinds of homophobic jokes because that was a thing that people did all the time in the eighties. They're prevalent in the eighties. It was stuff that you see in every eighties movie. That was like the, a joke was somebody calling somebody some sort of homophobic slur. And you just, you know, you grit your teeth and power through it and just be glad that things aren't like that anymore. And mm-hmm. so I don't know if there's any of those moments in basketball that I would be forgetting about, but I do want to say that I don't feel like it's ever super mean spirited. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe there's a joke, that I'm forgetting.
1: About. I don't know. Cause what, what's, sticks out to me first of all i will say the unsung hero of that movie is dion bakar um oh yeah like there's so many of his scenes that i could like i always love saying to my friends you guys rip on me 13 or 14 more times i am out (laughs) of (laughs) here because as the short annoying friend like that's that's my thing man um but then or like uh tough break squeak yeah now you gotta fetch the ball bitch like just the the (laughs) meanness of it um also my favorite like weird thing from that movie that and this was just the thing i found out because it was bothering me if you're a big fan of the office which again millennial so of course um <laughs> but there's there's an episode where they do like the high school job fair and there's a kid that michael doesn't want because he's like kind of an ugly kid um that kid yeah. is joey from basketball oh really yeah <laughs> Oh my the kid god. He's eight years I old love... and he smells like Robert Downey Jr.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love catching things like that. I just watched um oh I'm gonna screw the name up of which actress it is. Anyway, I just watched Friday for my show recently and going through realized that one of the little kids that Smokey shoves out of the way. Mm-hmm going up to talk to Big Worm is now a fairly famous actress. And I am blanking on it without looking at my phone. Anyway, it's always cool to find those connections and be like, wait a second. Yeah. Now, did, did Matt and Trey have a falling out with Dion Bacar? Because I feel like I remembered hearing that, that like, they're not,
1: You know, I should have looked that up because I kind of was on a bit of a what happened to Dion Bacar thing, but I think I might have fallen down another rabbit hole. Um, But it does suck because like he has done a lot of voices in South Park. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of on screen, I think I feel like he could have had a bit of a career without them because he is enough of like the funny looking short guy kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like he could have been like a Charlie Day type guy. Um, Yes, I'm going straight to sunny references because that was where my brain was last week. Um but um yeah, like uh like thinking about their on-screen presence though Matt and Trey, like I kind of wonder like part of it is that up until I'd say 2005, that was like the last time ugly guys could star in movies. Like now you if you're a quote-unquote ugly guy, you have to be like Chris Pratt, which is to say not ugly at all, but you were kind of <laughs> right. fat once. Um <laughs> Uh, and i actually think they have an okay on-screen presence like i think um trey parker does like the wide-eyed thing very well he does like the faux sincerity that is required for like a parody sports movie um and i think matt stone is really really good at deadpan um i think he was really good in um in uh orgasmo for that also um (laughs) how much he loves rush in orgasmo i totally forgot uh about that
0: my favorite bit of I don't know if I'm getting ahead, if we're going to do oh, more on orgasmo fine. here or not. But um, my favorite bit of one of my favorite bits of physical comedy is in orgasmo. And it comes from Matt when he gets shot with the orgasm gun and he's in mid conversation and he he has an orgasm and then immediately goes right back to talking like nothing <laughs> happened. But there's a there's a part on the orgasmo DVD where You. you Easter eggs. If there's anybody here who's too young to remember this, Easter eggs on DVDs uh, where you could like hit left or right on mm-hmm. a DVD menu screen and find like a hidden feature. And there's a very funny one on Orgasm where it's just Matt chewing with his mouth open like a prick and he's like way to go you big cheese you found the easter egg you big cheese and like it's just like talking shit to you for like taking the time to find it and he just keep, keeps calling you the viewer you big cheese yeah and it's just it's just yeah he's great at like deadpan and it like playing a character who's like kind of a prick
1: <laughs> yeah he goes obviously full out with it in basketball but um yeah like Obviously I think it's clear they don't want to be actors um yeah. and and when he, I watch even like cons with them and when I've watched interviews with them they have, they have a sense in person that is kind of sleepy and like over it that I'm like <laughs> I don't think I could watch another 90 minutes of that anymore but um <laughs> like like they said you know they were taking they were taking things because they were nervous about South Park flopping and I respect mm-hmm. that like I said this was my gateway into aerpla- airplane for better or worse, it was my gateway into ska. Like fuck the music in that movie is really good.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, it's great. That's that's what I want to do on the show, honestly.
1: Ooh. It's I still you gotta save me We've for center trying. stage. I've got I've got the oh I've got the dance knowledge and the very encyclopedic knowledge of Mandy Moore's singing career.
0: (laughs) That's fine. I just thought about that as we were talking. I thought I had a eureka moment. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Basketball might be.
1: Uh, You know, I do own and regularly wear a pair of checkered vans, but I am not the ska historian that I once was. (laughs) But so... um, Yeah, the guys could have probably not stood to take roles in basketball because Comedy Central really marketed the hell out of South Park. This seems to become like a theme whenever we're talking about TV on peak show is like, what can happen when a network actually gets behind a show? Um, Mm -hmm. Because there are a lot of shows that a lot of networks, particularly streaming networks, just like kind of let die and don't support. Um, Comedy Central marketed South Park so well that it amassed $30 million in T-shirt sales before it even premiered. It was a merchandising and ratings (laughs) hit. I think that's where I first saw, remember, seeing South Park imagery was on T-shirts.
0: See, I don't remember it that way. And that is really weird to me because I can't imagine even at like 17 years old being in a store and seeing like a shirt that said they killed Kenny and being like, I don't know what this is in the context of, but I like this. Like So that's weird to me. But I guess we're talking about a time and a generation that just come off of buying like big johnson (laughs) t-shirts and things like that so like they'll they'll buy whatever t-shirts there was cool cartoons on them
1: there was for a while a store in uh, like that you'd see in canadian malls called the it store and and it was always Mm -hmm. just like the funny joke gifts and like crude t-shirts and stuff and that was where i first started seeing them um i think i think the u.s equivalent would be something like a spencer's yeah Yeah, that's what
0: i was thinking in my head when you said american
1: culture is fascinating um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, so during this time, they said they felt highly burnt out, were convinced the show would always be canceled. So they um, they had signed uh, a deal for two more seasons and a very lucrative movie deal. They fully committed themselves to the movie, thinking that it was going to be over soon. Bigger, Longer, and Uncut grossed $83 million at the box office and was nominated for Best Original Song at the Oscars. And then South Park continued to be a rating bonanza. It did peak pretty early, apparently, but it remained profitable for Comedy Central. That's because animation is already pretty low budget, and then you've got two guys doing everything and famously doing everything in a week. Yeah. they also successfully pitched the show That's My Bush, um, which I've only managed to see one episode of. I love That's My Bush. It's really good.
0: It was funny. Yeah. It was funny in 9-11. It's one of those things that 9-11. Like, yeah, uh not to, God, we're gonna talk about 9 more than I expected on, on a <laughs> t- Matt and Trey episode. But um, you know, uh that is nine eleven 9-11 did a lot of things. Uh as far as entertainment goes like you couldn't be critical of america in the slightest uh if it were like a movie about the death of the american dream they it was not getting made and um and then you got something that's like harmless like that's my bush that like sends up that jackass anyways that like it's like the easiest that's the thing i feel like guys like him i kind of to to get a little ahead actually i'm not getting ahead because i really didn't watch much of the trumpier south park stuff Mm -hmm. but um i remember people getting really mad that they didn't do like they were like we're not really gonna do the trump thing that's honestly one of those things that like look i've as as reactionary as they can be i would eat this entire desk that i'm sitting at (laughs) if they voted for donald trump i just do not see them being guys who like think donald trump is is good um I am not making fun of it. It's not an endorsement more. So what it comes down to is pretty much any bit of Trump comedy that you did see. They were right. It was fucking terrible. Like it's hard to parody a guy like him because he's already so cartoonish. Whereas Bush was just cartoonish and human enough that you could make a show like that's my Bush and be funny. Um, So they picked their spot. Well, but yeah, I just, there's just one of those things I remember like people being mad that they didn't like make fun of Trump at all. And it's like, well, comedy during the time of Trump really did was not very good. Like, and, uh, yeah. Bush was easier to lampoon, I feel like.
1: It was easier to lampoon, and also, I, I feel like that was a case of actually speaking truth to power, and I know that sounds ridiculous because they were both, you know, the president and both the most powerful man in the world, but, um, like, George W. Bush was hero-worshipped because he happened mm-hmm. to be sitting in office during a massive, devastating terrorist attack, um, and... And you see now the way he's been immortalized as a nice man who paints. And he's a guy who did need to be taken down a peg. Like, Donald Trump has been shitting himself for 10 years. I'm, I'm certain of it. <laughs> like, I, I don't want to say that it's punching down because it's still very much punching up. But it's more like, this is not a guy who needs to be taken down a peg because he takes himself down a peg every time he opens his mouth. Like
0: Exactly. Exactly. Because, yeah, no, I mean you know, uh, there are, trust me, I'm in an area where there are people that still have like, fuck Joe Biden. Oh yeah. I was, I was there. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. So you got to see it. It's all over the place, but like outside of that weird sort of worship, like it's not, it's not the same, like, as it looked, he was just kind of an end means to an end for the Republican party. Like we've got a Republican in just hope he doesn't embarrass too badly. (laughs) Um, Whereas Bush was like, (sighs) you know, he was your boilerplate Republican that would go along with the party and do whatever they wanted. And as such, that's why you see things like you heard me groan when you said that he's been painted out to be this nice guy who paints, because look, it's not even a controversial take. It should not be a controversial take, but I will go to my grave insisting that Bush was far worse than Trump as president. If you look at the amount of body count, I mean, it is so crazy to me that there are people who think otherwise, but yeah that's why you know bush kind of hid this like awful side of him through this like i'm just a southern boy charm that and then also on top of that not being able to like say things correctly 90 percent of the time that he would talk to so yeah he was a much better target than trump who as you said you you nailed it he already is like a walking yeah. parody you know like what do you do and as
1: as team america demonstrated like people were so on board with what i mean not all people like you said you were among the many out there protesting but like there were so many people on board with what george w bush did like that yeah. you know like i i said that 2004 like post 9 11 americana pop culture like there's a big deluge mm-hmm. of war movies in that era like team america could not have come at a better time and i know that it wasn't the first thing to really make fun of that but we really didn't have a lot of loud voices with a lot of money or power behind it you know really yeah. making fun of that like we talked a little bit about it on our arrested development episode but like who was even watching arrested development when it was actually on the fucking air um
0: uh hands up i was actually one. i'm not like fun, nope. but i was I, <laughs> I i i was crushed when that got canceled i was and this is I was the same as you. It was a time where I really wasn't watching a lot of TV, but I happened to catch the first episode of Arrested Development one mm-hmm. night after. I think it, I think they debuted it after The Simpsons or something. And it was like Oh yeah, it was this a Sunday night funny. show. Yeah. yeah. Um and uh but I, I yes, I was actually one of them. But yeah, you're right. I mean, no, that's why I got yeah. canceled after. Hey,
1: months. Eric, they found WDs in Iraq so we got a half day. Um, <laughs> 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 so, yeah, with um With Team America, it it sounds like it was a bit of a troubled production. Um, I'm assuming they never want to work with marionettes again. Um, They were, you know, finishing it, like, barely completing it before the film's release, working 20-hour days. It sounds like these guys have major workaholism issues, which, if I look at the fact that they are still writing and directing pretty much every episode of South Park, it also—and not to pathologize people I've never met— because this I say this cuz this is exactly how I am. If you are pulling 20-hour days and like you know working yourself to a point of stress for everything you do, it's because you're a control freak and it's because you think no one yeah. else can do it as well as you do. Because that's what I do. Like I'm a magazine editor. <laughs> this is like this that's why this career was meant for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I try to shuffle everything off that I yeah. can. I'm like
1: <laughs> but so with Team America, it made it grossed fifty one million. So like, it made back its budget, but you know, not much more. I think its budget was like thirty eight million or something. I have a feeling Team America is why they've stayed away from film since then, like just because it was so hard on them and. Mm-hmm. I do think when it comes to film, I do think they're more perfectionists than they are than they are with South Park. Like you really don't see that perfectionism with South Park. You know, like I said, they they famously do everything in a week. Um, yeah. But it's while they were on pre-production for Team America and they were learning more about marionettes that they went to see the show Avenue Q. Um, by the way, I uh, went to audition for Avenue Q back in 2012, back when I was still trying to be a performer. And working with marionettes is extremely hard work, and they wanted to not pay cast members for the production I auditioned for. So Lower Ossington Theater, mm-hmm. I hope you've gotten your shit together in the last 10 years.
0: <laughs>
1: that's, that's, that's dirty. I know. That's low. Yeah. I imagine you have to have like specialized training to be a puppeteer. Which is also why I did not get the role, because I am not a good puppeteer. Um, uh,
0: yeah, like, I'm, I don't know whether or not you have to specialize training, but I feel like I would not be able to be a puppeteer. You certainly right? don't know
1: what to do when you show up at the audition. Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> It was like kind of like the first time I was ever put on the spot and asked to play a fairman. You think you know how that's going to go. And it does not go. <laughs> um, I've had a, I've had a lot of weird auditions in my life, as you can tell. It
0: sounds yes, like
1: it. Um, but so no, they were uh, they loved Avenue Q, and they eventually met with creators Robert Lopez and Jeff Marks. Both were mutual fans of one another and had a mutual interest of in Joseph Smith. I want to say how does that come up, but I've been in those conversations <laughs> where the most random shit comes up. So um, the uh, <laughs> so they decided they wanted to do a project on this and that it would be a musical they inter- they road tripped to salt lake city and interviewed mormons missionaries ex-missionaries for the project it took several years to write the musical and it seemed that a lot of that was parker and stone literally just learning what it was like to actually produce a musical uh, for example they had no idea what it meant to workshop a musical which to uh kind of put a pin in uh the breeze attempt to be a performer thread that was the only time i really got quote-unquote work was in workshopping things Because my whole thing is I can't actually act. I can sing and dance really well. uh, So I can give you a really good idea of what this is going to look like, but you do not want to pay to see me in anything. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, so they opted for direct to Broadway opening, uh, stating that those guys work best when the stakes are high. So it premiered on Broadway in 2011, commercially and critically successful with investors recouping their costs after just nine months, which in Broadway terms is very, very good. Um, It's since expanded internationally, obviously, to Canada, in the UK, uh, in Australia, in tours. It is and remains an extremely successful musical, and all the while, South Park is still in production. They haven't branched outside that show much in recent years. Uh, Trey Parker did do a voice in Despicable Me 3, which I haven't seen because I'm over the age of 10 and i don't have kids
0: <laughs> i don't think i knew that i don't think i knew that actually
1: i didn't until i was looking for his credits outside of south park and yeah um and stone hasn't has done even less um so south park is now in its 24th season and is currently renewed until at least 2027 um ratings wise cuz i always like to do peak ratings uh there's very spotty info available for south park at its peak it was around 5 to 6 million viewers per episode which is moderately good for adult animation yeah um in its middle run is about one to three million which i'd say is still very good for adult animation Mm -hmm. especially in the very late time slot it has it is now under one million per episode um that doesn't include streaming um there's huge chunks missing from this info but i would say being under a million per episode like even it's always sunny in philadelphia is under a million per episode like that is literally just how tv works these days
0: Yeah. yeah Oh yeah. That's, I, you know, that's one of those things. Streaming has changed so much. Um, you know, I, I, uh, again, not the but like, I, you know, I, on, on my show, I talk about sometimes like sh- an album that like sold millions of copies. And then it's like, it placed number 98 for the year in album mm-hmm. sales. And it's like, seriously, if an album sold that many now, it would be like the number one album for like four years running. Um, but yeah, it's just, everything's very different in the metrics that they use to determine whether something is successful. That water is so muddied at this yes. point that,
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I'm surprised they even go for ratings at this point. Like the idea of like nielsen ratings or should be a thing of the past
1: well so ah, interestingly ah. that's something i used to report really intensely on in my last job and um it's average minute audience because that is what ad buyers trade on you know your you buy your cpm your your cost per thousand viewers um but what's interesting is that networks refuse to release um commercial minute audiences which is what buyers actually want to know they want to know how many people are watching the fucking commercials mm-hmm. um and they won't they won't <laughs> give that um but it's interesting because I always say like the lack of AMA is what has led Netflix to renew and cancel the way it does because they don't care about average minute audiences. They just care about how many people have signed up. And now that Netflix is going to be integrating ads at its tier, suddenly Netflix is going to care about measuring AMA. And we might actually see a bit of a difference in how it renews and cancels shows. So I'm, I think it's neither good nor bad. I just find it fascinating. And I'm going to be watching that with a lot of interest.
0: I'm going to be honest. I I was just talking about this with somebody that it'll never happen, but there's this small part of me because you do see a lot of pushback anymore. Look, it is true. Like if, if, if you, with as much money as people pay now for 10 streaming services, there should never be a time where you're like, I can't find that anymore. Mm -hmm. It should be everywhere. And, uh, I saw someone on Twitter today say it today say that piracy is preservation, and that's true. Mm-hmm. It's the like the only thing that's preserving things at this point is piracy. But um, I would love for there to be a return to the video store days. and it I the, yeah. it feels like with the right push, they could find another moment to like a family video managed to we just lost our we had a family video here in Tiffin um that lasted until about a year ago. I was really sad to see it go, but family video kind of like whenever the idea that video stores were a dead or dying thing, they like thrived. Mm. They opened up in small towns where they knew like it was going to be people with poor internet access or elderly families that like maybe don't know or don't care to know how to use Netflix. And uh, look, I just kind of think Netflix deserves everything it's getting right now. And I say that as somebody who's liked a lot of shit. I mean, I was an early mailing the discs days, Netflix subscriber. Um, But yeah, it's like Amazon. I used to order from Amazon back before Amazon was Amazon. It was like the one place that I could find things in this area. Yeah, if I wanted to buy a very like a grindhouse release DVD, like I wasn't going to find it in Northwest Ohio somewhere. I could get it for three dollars used on Amazon. And and now Amazon is something that is, <laughs> you know, this giant evil corporate thing, too. So uh, they all kind of get what they deserve. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and oh, God, the video story is like back when nothing was open because one of the things uh, I always tell my American co-hosts is um, we had much harsher lockdowns in Ontario and like we mm-hmm. we had a, like even a full lockdown as recently as um, or no it was a partial lockdown because retail was still open but as recently as December um, and so with one of the things you, you get really good at doing like indoor dates and stuff and creative date nights and my husband and I we decided to do like a movie rental night not like a movie like and it's like we want to rent an old movie and it's like go out to the grocery store get some licorice because i i don't eat dairy so like my movie snack of choice has always been licorice um get Mm -hmm. some licorice get some pop soda um and uh
0: you could, no a pop guy oh too. yeah you the midwest call it
1: calls it pop right okay yeah
0: yeah you got yeah, it right get
1: some pop get some licorice <laughs> and we're gonna like watch batman or something but it was also like the thrill of picking the movie and i'm just like oh i want to be doing mm-hmm. this in a store so bad like yeah yeah but so um we've uh my last note about them as people is uh net worth estimated between 600 and 700 million so it's like they could stop any time <laughs> they really
0: could mm. <laughs> right. They don't need to keep yeah. doing this. Um,
1: so I have a few other loose notes, which uh, I want to just kind of cruise through before we get to the lightning round. Um, one of the things with them as reactionaries. So one, one of the things, first of all, um, I'll also say there's, two, there's their political reactionary nature. There's also how they are with personal reactionary stuff. Um, they really love to throw stones at other creators, and they're not even necessarily wrong for the things they do. Like I fully agree with all their criticism of family guy. Um, and, mm-hmm. um, or them making fun of Phil Collins. You'll be in my heart with beating them out for best original. Like you'll be inside me. Um, they, they had a lot of fun with that, but like when they felt mischaracterized by Michael Moore in his film, their response was to parody him in multiple projects and like, go like they, there are so many interviews of them talking about how offended they were that Michael Moore did what he did. And I'm just like, yeah, you know to, to reduce it to a cliche they really dish it out and cannot take it i think
0: well and that's look historically another thing that i found are the people who throw the most barbs have the thinnest skin. oh yes um and that is not a surprise either they're pettyish they're they are petty beyond belief mm-hmm. about things and you know, it's funny you brought up this the family guy thing because I look, I love I had the first three, like I remember Family Guy wanting it to come back. I had the like the first three seasons oh, I yeah. watched them religiously. Like, I wish it would come back. And within like a year of it coming back, they ran that episode. And I was like, they're right about this show. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and it really did change. Like my dwindle, my my watching of Family Guy just plummeted following that episode with the uh manatees. Like that was it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so and I, I have noticed when I watched some later episodes, they're not doing that as much lately. And I actually think a huge thing why they're not like picking these little Hollywood fights is Book of Mormon. Because like, I'm not going to pretend I've ever acted in a Broadway play or anything. But I have a lot of friends who are involved in the theater scene, both U.S. and Canada. And you have to be, a, you have to really play nice in theater. Yeah. And I do think that Book of Mormon maybe just taught them something about playing nice or what. Um. Yeah. But when it comes to, like, political reactionary stuff, like, you know, there's a whole Wikipedia page for South Park controversies. Um, I don't really feel equipped to discuss certain things, like, for example, the nuances of the Muhammad incident. Um, I will say that, like, you can draw, like, I, too, don't think you can draw a direct line between, like, you know, big political movements and those things. But like I'd say like the Chappelle stuff that's going on right now and the backlash to uh-huh. the Muhammad portrayal. Like there was a Simpsons chalkboard gag after the um after that like South Park we would stand a few if you weren't so scared. With this myth of political correctness is like, oh, comedians are so scared right now. Comedians are walking around scared when, you know, whether it's Chappelle joking about trans people or South Park engaging in Islamophobic humor, like no one is making you make these jokes. And so it's literally poking a bear and then saying bears are scary. It's a real problem.
0: And the thing is, no one, literally no one is stopping them from making these jokes either. This idea that they're like being silenced is so stupid. Like they- Like you, you're not being stopped. You just, you just want to make these jokes and complain because people get mad at you about making them. Like if you want to buy buy the ticket, take the ride. You know what I mean? Like hey, if you want to go out and do that, it's such a part of their brand.
1: They're doing it on purpose. It's a part of their brand, and so to act like oh comedians are scared and we're, like we're just taking these risks you knew you you knew it would piss people off that's why you did it that's mm-hmm. their whole fucking brand mm-hmm. um there there's this great indie wire piece a brief history of south park's most transphobic episodes which outlines all the aspects of south park that have been highly transphobic it says it pretty succinctly which is that these guys have no experience with this materials they do not have trans writers they don't have lived experience or a ton of research i, I i'm not going to make any judgments about how many trans friends they have if i were trans i probably would not want to be their friend um They go to make – it's that they make these episodes, but they act like authorities on everything. Like, I don't necessarily believe you have to have this lived experience to write about everything. Like, again, we just said it on our Sunny episode, but you should at least have someone in the room who can act as a consultant, and you should actually, like – again, write with affection because it's that they are acting like they really truly know better than everyone and that's that's the kind of writing that actually does really turn me off, you know? Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of their other things I can say, like, well, this is a redeeming quality or whatever, but it comes across as really lazy. Like, um, there's also, like, I will say, what I like, like, what or what I dislike is also when they try to engage in anti-capitalism critiques and um, one of their laziest ones now... They've been very critical of the second season of South Park. Um, mm-hmm. There's one episode in season two, Gnomes, which I actually love. Gnomes. I think the Underpants Gnomes are adorable. Um, yeah. <laughs> like oh, I, I won't do the voice because I know I already have an annoying voice and like that'll just sound like awful. But um, the whole <laughs> Harbucks plot in that episode, and it, it's about how everyone bans against this big corporation, but in the end, they're actually overzealous because like, have any of you actually tasted the coffee? And in the end the message you come away with is it's regressive to hate big corporations. And I'm like, that's not, that's <laughs> not both sides. I mean, you're very much picking a side here. Um, yes. It, it's funny because I think of like 2020 and lockdowns and the way we all pretended to care about small businesses. I'm like, there could have been a way more like fun, both sides is way to do that. Like the way, you know, a lot of small businesses are actually actually fight wage increases just as much as big corporations or hide behind, you know, the label of small business, like, small business has become a bit of a virtue signal. It would have been so fun to see like that version of the episode. So all that is to say, like I think people mistake South parks as both sides them for nuance, but sometimes they screw the pooch. Some, it really does not stick the landing a lot.
0: Well, and like, here's the deal. As you said, look, any anti-capitalist, anything that, that they do is going to ring hollow to me because as you said, They're worth seven to $800 million and they're going to keep going on the show for another 15 years, you know, like they have no reason to keep doing this at this point. So like they're capitalists to their bones and like, that's fine, Mm -hmm. but don't like try to sneak in some anti-capitalist critique that is not actually that, you know?
1: Yeah. And when I, so the one thing I have to ask about myself is, am I, am I a hypocrite? Am I a fucking hypocrite? Because I've just said the guys have no business wading into, you know, queer and trans issues when they have no experience in it. And yet I love Book of Mormon, and they are lampooning a religion of which they're not a part. So, like, can I justify how it's different? It's it's not fully accurate to say Mormons actually love the show, but actually many do. Um,
0: I yeah. was going to say, and I believe they, they, while they may not have been a part of the religion, they most certainly, I guarantee you, know more Mormon people than they know trans people. Yes. You know, like, they they at least have more of an experience with that than they do like any trans person that they would try to write. You know, when you were talking about Chappelle, you might, I I was trying to think when you brought up Chappelle, my first thought was, I wonder what South Park has ever done as far as like, I I guarantee there's some terrible trans joke that they've done, but I couldn't think of any off the top. Well, I mean, the whole thing with Mrs.
1: Garrison. Uh, yeah, oh, shit. That that's right. Growing a penis, and they compared it to Kyle wanting to be black, and that's and oh, then that's
0: right the dolphin episode. There's also
1: an episode in which um, Eric decides to transition because he wants to use the girl's bathroom, and so that was like founded in a lot of trans panic stuff that's yeah they there
0: are i forgot about yeah like i
1: said highly recommend the um the article uh the most south park's most transphobic moments because it really like the the mrs garrison thing um that was something that was written without a lot of affection for trans women and um you know that you should yeah like you and what sucks about that episode though is that The dolphin thing is one of the most disturbing animations. And that in and of itself is a really funny image. But I don't think it's really forgivable because I've seen so many people who use like, even if they want to say, oh, the argument's meant to be absurd. I've seen so many people use that argument in real life of what if a person wanted to change their race and be black?
0: That's the problem is that like if they were trying to do something clever, they failed because they did what every you could find that argument. Uh, I could see that argument a hundred times a day on Twitter if I search mm-hmm. for it. You know, please like, don't search for it. Um, You'll just
1: get sad. <laughs> you know, I,
0: I refuse to. I wonder though if that's. I'm. I would be curious to see if they've how they feel about episodes like that now, like the Man Bear Pig thing. They they, yeah,
1: they on. actually. That's one of the only things they have gone back on, and it's it's interesting because I think like climate change is one of those things. Like I said, I was just at a climate change conference in Northwestern Ohio. Um, and because I work in the agriculture industry, it's funny because like even the agriculture industry is now as about 10 years ago, willing to admit that climate change is a thing. So I feel like now um, it's it's kind of like how, you know, Trump bad was always a much more <laughs> uh, politically safe position than Obama bombed a Syrian, Syrian wedding. Um, yeah. And um, like, which is also, also is probably frankly another part of why they don't they didn't do trump humor is because um Trump humor is very safe and they are not safe guys um yeah, but all, all that is to say um they could they could go back on Man Bear, Pig because like it is now like you're now a huge fucking loser if you don't think climate change is real, um yeah, I don't. It would be nice if they would go back but the other thing though is when they did Man Bear pig they weren't being mean to people they were being mean to an idea uh, like right. if, if they were to go back on Mrs. Garrison and Erica Cartman and all that they would have to admit we hurt a lot of people like mm-hmm. and I, I don't think uh i also don't know if a half hour comedy uh like series is a great platform to do a proper apology because you have to make humor out of it and i just think like i would rather personally just move on and stop doing it like i don't trust them to do a proper apology basically is what i'm saying yeah
0: no and you're you're probably yeah i i I think you're you're right about that that it would miss the mark if they tried
1: so with book of mormon like um like one of the central themes of Book of Mormon is there's no objective truth. Like if if ridiculous shit brings you comfort and it's not hurting anyone, that's fine. And I also think Elder Cunningham is a really adorable character. Like I know mm-hmm. I know we're all sick of Josh Gad now, but he was great in that role. Um, there's a lot of positive messages. Um, I think. It says something that one of the only really scathing indictments I've read of the musical was basically like, How dare they say that it might not objectively be true? How dare they make me question things? Like, it was this <laughs> article I read that I, like, I can't believe this is sincere. That, like, it, that it was offensive to suggest that it might not objectively be true, which I think is pretty funny. Um, like, <laughs> th- th- the church has even leaned into it, like, it, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing. I'm like, but I, I also, think it's telling that stone and parker do handle mormonism with a much more thoughtful lens than they have handled other groups but like you said yeah um i think they probably know far more mormons than they have so maybe they should like take road trips to uh places and interview people before every you know piece of work they do yeah Uh, yeah (laughs) um so eric we have gotten to the lightning round and i'm so excited okay so Who's your favorite South Park character from the main cast?
0: Okay, can I ask you one question beforehand? Does Butters count as part of the main cast? Um, Are you talking the four? Are you just talking the four four mains?
1: uh, I will say the four mains, yeah.
0: Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Then I got to go Cartman. I still got to go Cartman, Mm -hmm. even though he's mean-spirited. Look, well, no, I'm going to get... I don't want to... Here, are you gonna ask me my favorite episode of South Park? I forget if that was part of the like, it is not, or not. No, okay. So, my favorite episode of South Park is the uh, Scott Tournament episode where Cartman <laughs> feeds. feeds. Like, <laughs> I, I know that they use Cartman for a lot of their meaner impulses, and he's like basically their mouthpiece when they want to be mean spirited, but. It's a funny character. The voice cracks me up. But if I had to pick one of the four, I mean, he is the one with the most personality yeah. of the four, even if it is the worst personality of the four. So I got to go Cartman.
1: I, I agree. I am also on Cartman, even though he is terrible, uh, because I like quotable characters and the other guys are not quotable. Um, like yes. That's, Cartman was created to be quotable. Um. So your favorite supporting or recurring, uh, Butters.
0: No, actually Whoa. Randy Marsh. <laughs> okay,
1: so I was between Butters and Randy Marsh and I will say It's a tough
0: one for me. During the
1: time when I said I was watching a lot of South Park like University which was like, you know, 2008 through 2012, there were they were really getting a lot of Randy Marsh content in there and I think mm-hmm. I got a little sick of Randy Marsh.
0: Okay. Wow. That's fair. Cause by that point I had like my viewing had dwindled. So Randy was always like a super special treat for me mm. when they would focus on Randy, because everything he did was like the funniest thing in the world. So honestly, if you were to ask my favorite character in the show in general, it would be Randy. Yeah. Wisch. Like if we were separate, if we kept them all in one pool, <laughs> but butters, it was tough because I, as soon as you, as soon as you said, butters didn't count, I like shuffled butters down to supporting. And I'm like, I'm not bumping Randy. Out so it's, it's Randy.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I love butters. Um, when people find out that I'm a tap dancer, uh usually um and, and I'll say this, if if I never have to hear someone say tappa tappa tappa, when I tell them I'm a tap dancer, <laughs> it'll be too soon. It's kind of like when I tell people I'm a vegan and they ask if I'm gonna marry a carrot. Um <laughs> oh, I've heard God. all the jokes.
0: People say that
1: Yeah. Uh, they they do a lot, Eric. They do. Um, <laughs> but also um there the the, the fellow that I, I dated when I was in university. When uh, he found out I was a tap dancer, he immediately starts, like, doing fake tap dancing. You're going, oh, I got something on my phone pocket for you. And I'm like, you know what? That is a much more uh, subtle reference. That I like. I like that a lot. Um, and uh, didn't like that he did it every time tap came up, but...
0: Um, <laughs> I had forgotten about that, but as soon as you said it, it like, you immediately bubbled and that the memory up And the carnage that
1: he causes with it, like... <laughs> okay so what is your favorite song from book of mormon
0: just to go back my to butters real quick my favorite thing about butters my favorite character thing with butters is that he was the weird kid who pulls his pants all the way to his ankles when he pees a beautiful (laughs) like i that episode where they like emphasize that he did that he walks in i was like maybe the hardest i've laughed at that show was when butters dropped his pants to his ankles but favorite book of mormon song in my brain it's turn it off Mm -hmm. but in my heart, it is Spooky Mormon Helldream.
1: <laughs> so I was going to say Spooky Mormon hell dream as well, but I like Turn It Off as well.
0: Okay, we had the same answer. <laughs> um,
1: I eventually, uh, Turn It Off was kind of a tertiary one for me. I really, really like Hello. And that is because yeah. of all the really good choreography I've seen to it. I think it is such a great opening number. And I am all about a really strong opening number. Um... I really think your your opening number makes a musical. Um, And in terms of best opening numbers of all time, it is there in my top five. um, Along, like my number one favorite musical opening number of all time is actually "Welcome to the Rock" from uh, "Tom from Away." Um, I wouldn't say it's number two, but it's like somewhere in that top five. Um, It's even I, I. yeah, number two is 42nd Street, actually. But um, yeah, it's it's such a fun establishment of the musical. It sets the tone so perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, it introduces all the characters in a really efficient way. So I think, hello. Um, okay. Okay, so favorite song from their entire catalog?
0: I will, again, I want to say the entirety of the Cannibal the Musical soundtrack, mm-hmm. but I can't say that. So what I'm going to go with is Now You're a Man from Orgasm. <laughs> that-
1: That's a good one. The
0: way he leans into, Marion, like it just cracks me up. (laughs) It's such a
1: fun.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. It's 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 really
1: satisfying to do yourself.
0: I know. I know. Trust me. (laughs) Um,
1: This one should be unsurprising to anyone uh, since the only personality trait I really have on this podcast is Canadian. Um, Blame Canada, but very specifically the version done by Robin Williams at the Oscars, if there was ever a poster boy for cocaine, <laughs> it is that performance. <laughs> um I, I think it's it's just so funny because even the rhymes aren't that clever, but it's like with all their hockey hullabaloo and that bitch Anne Murray too, like <laughs> who would ever call Anne Murray a bitch? I don't know, but the <laughs> fact that they did, I'm like, oh, you guys had so much fun with that. And like it's exciting <laughs> for a Canadian when anyone mentions canada even in the most disparaging way so i think we all had a lot of fun with blame canada
0: <laughs> it's it's funny
1: okay i think this one actually will be a hard one for you orgasmo or basketball
0: actually i've got to go orgasmo on that
1: one <sighs> i i just I, leaned into not, basketball.
0: It, it will, I it it's uh, it is a tough one for me but i think Pound for pound Orgasmo is the one I like better. It's not, it is a very, it's very close. Mm-hmm. It's very close, but it's not, I actually, it's, I'm, I'm not kidding when I say I'm probably going to watch Basketball tonight after we get done with this. Like talking about Basketball has made me really, when I go back and revisit Basketball. So I will say that for Basketball, that I, I, I love them both very dearly. I just think I've got to lean into Orgasmo just a little bit. I think it has to do with when I first saw Orgasmo too. Like I saw Orgasmo, First, you know, before I saw Basketball. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, Orgasmo. Hmm. <laughs> I'm over-explaining it. No, now.
1: it's okay. I, I lean just into Basketball. I, I think that also has to do with when I saw Like I I was actually ignorant of Orgasmo's existence until I was, like, 19 or 20. So, I, like, by the time I was seeing it, I already... I already knew how much better they could be. Like I, Mm. um, and also I saw it at a time when it wasn't edgy. Actually, the night that (laughs) I saw orgasmo at my ex's house, I am 98% sure that is the same night I saw teeth for the first time. Oh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's a quite a double feature.
1: Yeah. I mean, I definitely enjoyed orgasmo more than teeth. Um, (laughs) but, uh, yeah. Um, so, I, I think I, I go just into basketball for the nostalgia reasons. Who is your favorite Stone Parker collaborator?
0: It's uh, Diane Vicar. We brought him up earlier.
1: Um, I would say Diane Vicar, but I, and also I've been like trying to very quietly Google to find out what actually did happen to them. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I, I'll say in terms of outcome, I think it's got to be Robert Lopez because I, I think okay. he, the way he was able to elevate them with Book of Mormon and really take them from like, I hate to imagine what Book of Mormon would have been without him. Um, yeah. And, and also to be fair, they took they took Robert Lopez from someone who, you know, was barely affording rent despite, you know, being very successful with Avenue Q because it does not pay particularly well to be a musical composer unless you are like Book of Mormon big. But mm-hmm. I think Robert Lopez is such a great compliment to them and and it says a lot to me that like he is a person who like they they don't collaborate with professionally with other people a lot and right. um so i think they obviously had a lot of trust in each other and i had no idea prior to book of mormon like how polished they could be and so i got to yeah. give him that credit um who is someone you'd like to see them collaborate with on any
0: medium I had to think about this one took me a little bit Mm. and ultimately what I did. You know that they're doing a collaboration with Kendrick Lamar, by the way,
1: I read about that, but I couldn't find any more information about what what they're actually doing.
0: Yeah, it's kind. I don't think there's like a whole bunch of information outside of the fact that they're doing something with Kendrick Lamar, but I could be wrong. Maybe more news has come out about that. But what I landed on was because I was trying to think, do I want to go like movie TV show medium? And I ended up landing on their musical medium. And I think when we're talking, because, you know, Matt and Trey can write a song. Oh, yeah. Um, And a very funny song that, like, on its surface level, if you didn't pay attention to lyrics, might just be like, this is a very cool song. And Tenacious D is who I landed on.
1: Oh, that would be so good. I thought you were going toward Weird Al and I was going to get ready to argue, but (laughs) I would
0: love Tenacious D. Yeah, I mean, Weird Al wouldn't. I love Weird Al, but that wouldn't make sense with those two. No, Uh, No. Tenacious D would.
1: So, I have a really dumb pick. Um, and when I said that I ha- find they have like a very sleepy presence in terms of on screen stuff, I think if they ever want to go back to starring in a movie, I think they could do a Safety Brothers movie. Yeah. I really do. Um, I think like that kind of very hyper realistic ADHD style, um, like, particularly when I think about, like, Good Time or Uncut Gems, I'm like, they could fit somewhere in that. Uh, also, I like that the Safty brothers, you know, like when I say Matt, Matt Stone and Trey Parker in basketball might have been the last time ugly people were allowed to star in a movie. Um, <laughs> like I think the Safdie brothers would actually be open to that. So, um, yeah, I if they were to ever star in a movie again, I would hope it's something like what they could do. The,
0: the only people that would find that ridiculous are people who've never seen Uncut Gems, because that's a pretty good idea.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Hooray! Um, Again, like I've got Adam Sandler on the brain because we just did our Adam Sandler episode, but... um, Okay, what is the nicest thing you can say about Matt Stone and Trey Parker? Uh,
0: Despite how many misses they have, I do feel like oftentimes they're Um, Mm -hmm. well-meaning. Again, they have their moments where they're not, but I do feel like... Well, and I'm saying this as somebody who hasn't really watched South Park in 10 years, but in the time that I did, um I do feel like oftentimes they were well-meaning and trying to do when they weren't punching down at targets they shouldn't have been punching down at. I feel like they meant well. Um mm-hmm. that's the nicest thing I could say about them is that that I feel like oftentimes they they were well-meaning in their prime.
1: Um this is going to sound hypocritical, but the more I the more I look at this picture, considering what I just said, I realize this is going to sound uh, silly, but um, the nicest thing I can say is that I think Matt Stone is actually very handsome. Okay. And I would definitely sleep with him. Um, <laughs> if, like, in the theoretical world where Jared and I never met and <laughs> Matt Stone uh, is in Canada. Um, you know, he's I like funny men, so... Um, <laughs> What is the meanest thing you could say about them?
0: They're not nearly as smart as they think they are often.
1: God, yes. I fully agree with that. I think I would echo that. However, I might, you know, I... Okay, the meanest thing I could say about them is um, I was completely unsurprised when I found out that Trey Parker was a total weeaboo. <laughs> <laughs> Some people just give off them vibes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you could erase one thing they've done, whether it's you know a short uh, single episode of South Park, completely eternal sunshine it out of the cultural landscape, what
0: would it be? Man bear pig, because I feel like that was them pushing in the reactionary route that painted so much of the stuff that came afterwards. And if you get rid of it, maybe it doesn't go that way.
1: I would say eternal sunshine out the entire, um, Kyle transitions to a black man episode. Find another reason to make Gerald Broslovsky a dolphin, though.
0: <laughs> yeah. well, see, that that did that follow Man Bear? I think that came after Man Bear Pig, too, right? Yeah, yeah, because my whole thinking when I came up with this, because there's a lot again, there's I had actually forgotten about that episode, but yes, that's one that I would erase from history forever. I like your idea of managing to keep Gerald uh, a dolphin in some way that's just not anti trans. Um, yeah, but. I, I, yeah, I feel like I said, man, you know, like I said, Man Bear Pig was the first time that they had something that I was like, what, what, wait, where are they coming from with this? Like, this, what? Like, that, that was really, because, like, it, you know, in Team America, it, it kind of tried to have it both ways, so I kind of accepted the, like, well, okay, they're just going after both sides, but like, Man Bear Pig was just one of those where I was like, what are they doing right now? And- they're saying
1: caring is dumb. Like- <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so now we, we've come to the peak, and so whether it's a year or a single episode or a single project, when did Stone and Parker peak for you? And as I always say, you know, peaks mean different things. could mean when you were the most into it, when it was the highest quality, um, when it was the most like itself. So what do you feel is the peak of Matt Stone and Trey Parker?
0: The peak for them was the season of South Park in the era that they, they made Team America. Like, I feel like 2004, maybe mm-hmm. into 2005 was their peak because man bear pig was 2006 if i mm-hmm. remember correctly man bear pig came in 2006 so that was when the decline started but for me because look I, as much as i love like basketball and cannibal and orgasm they were still warming up they were still winding up and i i still mm-hmm. think south Park: bigger longer and uncut is very funny it's it's so good very great yeah um but I think that Team America is that like that that run that they had between like South Park Bigger Longer and Uncut and Team America would be probably that I would pick as like their sweet spot peak time for Trey and Matt.
1: Mm-hmm. So I have my peak actually is also somewhere between that. It is a couple of years before Team America. However, I would say that makes it all that much more impressive. It is a very specific episode of South Park and it is uh, Ladder to Heaven from oh. sixth season. <laughs> Oh yeah, you you mentioned um you mentioned Alan Jackson, I believe. Um well, and the... uh, where were you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> the post all those post 9/11 songs drove me nuts. So that is yeah. one of my favorite episodes. That is a, one of my absolute favorites.
1: It it is. Um I I almost went with and I think it's from around the same era but the episode Raisins because one of the things that they are really really good at that I meant to touch on is um how good they like Sometimes their humor is really good when they draw attention to the fact that these are ultimately little kids who are doing like not little kid things. Yeah. Um, But Ladder to Heaven was even more like everyone thinks it's so precious, and like this was November two thousand two, so this was like a year after. Like I I always say, like the smoke was still like was still going, you guys, and they were able to like kind of get this jab in at the like. like the way people were capitalizing on tragedy and stuff and but then also work in really absurdist humor like (laughs) drinking ashes in chocolate milk and stuff um and i do want to say that i do not believe that south park had a very clear peak in quality and then it like because actually when i looked at some of the more recent episodes from like season 18 or so like um integrity farms uh which like made fun of like kids vaping and stuff it's from a couple of years ago like that's a great episode um put it down which is about you know like pulling away from the news cycle these are actually really good episodes and i think in more recent years i don't know if they've put different parameters on themselves or whatever or they just got sick of being the lords. but they've challenged themselves to create better episodes um so i do think i you know i because i've We've both been very critical and very, very complimentary, but we've both been very critical of South Park. And I will say that I think South Park actually has gotten a little better in recent years, but it will never be as, like, quotable as it was. Like, that's the thing. In South Park getting kind of too clever by half Mm -hmm. and the more it goes, like, and um, getting very stuck on what its stance is and what its message is it lost a lot of that one-linery and that hookiness that it had. Yeah. And that's like, I still like, when I look back at kind of the 9-11 country fried patriotism, the first thing that actually pops into my mind is, where were you when you built the ladder to heaven? <laughs>
0: <laughs> like there were so many of those too, like yeah. post-9-11. Like there was one that rhymed, Have you forgotten about bin Laden? That like like six months after 9-11, like, well, no, of course we've not forgotten. Quick cap you said it best though, capitalizing on tragedy is all it was.
1: It's yeah, and and like with the quotability, I was thinking about this like, and I just had this weird like memory that I hadn't a- haven't accessed in probably ten years. But when I was like seventeen or eighteen, my my friend Sean, you know, we would get stoned in his basement, and he um he just said, so- I think we were like playing Grand Theft Auto, and he says, I used to be a cup, too," and uh, like like that from? That must be from South Park, right? Like that sounds like a South Park voice. It's like I'm sure it is, but I don't remember where. And, like, that became a thing that we used to say to each other. Of course, you know, when you're stoned in a teenager, you think everything is funny. And, like, I used to be a kip too. And then, like, when I was 24, 25, I was watching an old episode of South Park. And it was the episode where they finally say shit on TV. Oh, yeah. And they're watching cop drama. (laughs) And uh, the, the line is, you forget. I used to be a kip too. And I, like, texted him just like, hey, I found where I was from. But, like... They have a certain delivery style the- in their very specific voices that can really burrow things into your brain for a long time.
0: One that lives in my head is: there's a part in Team America where he says, "You have to move on." <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Um, they like they they are they are actually really good dialogue storytellers. They're they're not visual storytellers, as is evident by the fact that they created a visual storytelling medium with South Park. That is literally not meant to be cared about. Um, <laughs> but um, in terms of their one-liners and stuff, yeah, like I don't think anything has been as funny as in that let's say 2001 to 2005 era. Mm-hmm. Um, they they were really firing on all cylinders back then. So um, well- then, what to you is like the the gap? Like how big is the gap between the best of Stone and Parker and the worst of it? <sighs>
0: Uh, um. honestly, okay, so when you said that, like, recent episodes still have, like, it's not surprising to me, if there's one thing that we've established in this episode, as critical as we've been,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's that they're both very funny and very talented guys, so the fact that they still have their fastball does not surprise me at all, that they can still... Yeah. But with that said, most of our criticisms criticisms don't come at the fact. So I don't exactly know how to gauge this. If we're talking quality of the show, I feel like in the things that they put out, I feel like that that gulf is probably not as wide as it would be for some artists who have had a show. Look, if like Simpsons bust peaks and Simpsons valleys are going to be significantly wider, I feel like, than mm-hmm. South Park's. <laughs> our main issues with them come from their reactionary shit. So I don't know how to gauge this because when they're their reactionary shit is fucking terrible. But mm-hmm. at the same time, taken as a comedy, um, it's like the episode about the, the you know, like you said, even the, the episode having Gerald as a dolphin is so. Screamingly funny. It just sucks how they wedged it in. So this is a tricky one for me, gauging the golfing quality. Again, I guess my safest answer here is going to be probably not as wide as it would be for anybody else who's been making the same show for 24 years. But it's their their golf, their gap in quality comes in um, the, when they punch down. That's the problem. Yeah. When they punch down, that's where their quality drops. Because I don't think that they've ever been not particularly funny if, if we're talking that gap in quality.
1: Yeah, and and I'm trying to think, because, like, the, I mean, and I've only been using this as a gauge on the show this season. Um, God help me if we try during our Three Simpsons episodes to find (laughs) the gap. But, um, like, the biggest gap we've agreed on so far is, I think, Adam Sandler, who literally, like, if, if Uncut Gems is an A+, then, you know, the little nicky is an f or whatever jack and jill is an f <laughs> i i'm not a fan of little nicky I, I like know, little like nicky oh i know i'm a killjoy um i don't like I, much i'm trying that. to i'm trying to think though of um times in south park when i truly didn't find them funny and because like i i don't think any of their film or stage project projects are a miss like mm-hmm. i think i would rank it as like book of mormon is kind of your top tier orgasmo is second tier and like third tier is team america but only like like i said team america doesn't always hold up upon reflection but the relevance of team they've never done something that kind of present moment and relevant and the risk when you do something like that is it's going to feel really weird 10 years from now Mm -hmm. um But I'll come back to what I said about the episode The Human Sentai Pad. And there actually were, um, like, very funny moments of that episode. Like, uh, Kyle trying to signal to the man, obviously, to to eat the vanilla bean paste. And then he (laughs) says, in an accent, I will not do. Very well, I will eat the cuttlefish. And um, the animation of it all. um, So there are funny moments in that episode but they have a weak point for like i said when they because of that very tight animation time and like you know coming up with an idea and putting it to to paper within a week um where it's like they go like hey the ipad announcement that was really stupid because i re- i i still remember that people thought the ipad seemed stupid when it came out yeah. and they decided, hey, let's do something with that. Oh, let's do something with the human centipede as well and let's tie it in. And it just fell so flat because you couldn't actually make a fucking plot out of it. Yeah. And so aside from their punching down stuff, which I almost like, that's my, I'm not even going to bother fucking grading this, you know? Yeah. Um, like I would say that is a D plus episode. If they're, if the best of what they can do, you know, Book of Mormon, Ladder to Heaven, um. Uh, put it down, like, if those are your A's, the human Centipad pad and that era or the episode where Randy microwaves his balls to make them huge, that's like your C minus D plus. Um, that was the era I was pointing out of Randy
0: Marsh saturation. Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah, That's a fair assessment. Um, That's a very fair assessment. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna go with the, your exact scale on this <laughs> one, honestly, because that's... Yeah.
1: It's so... Then if you were to recommend just three Stone and Parker projects to a friend, uh, whether it be a single episode of South Park, a movie, to give him a ticket to a Book of Mormon, what would it be?
0: I feel like if I were recommending anything South Park, I would just go Bigger, Longer, Uncut instead of picking out a particular episode. Yeah. Uh, so that encompasses my South Park. And then mm-hmm. it would be Cannibal the Musical followed by – now, does basketball count since they had nothing to do – i will go orgasm. It orgasmo. counts
1: if you want it to. You know, well, I'm going
0: to go orgasmo yeah. anyways, but I was just curious as to whether or not that counted. So I would go orgasmo. Get... No, no, you know what? I'm, even as much as I love orgasmo, I'm going to take orgasmo out and put in. Okay, let me re- let me redo this. Go <laughs> South Park bigger, longer, uncut. I'm going to go Cannibal the Musical. I'm going to go Team America because I feel like that. Those three show. It's like all encompassing as far as like what they do.
1: I. Huh, it's either like it's this is a weird thing because I would either say Team America or the episode Ladder to Heaven. Mm-hmm. Um be, but I will say Team America shows you how good of songwriters they are.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um while also showing that they were frankly some of the only people with the balls to go uh to go there. <laughs> um, I would also um say the South Park episode Raisins is actually a really good encompassing of how well they write the characters when they're on and how well they can do when they have humor that is being mean to a group, but it's also harmless, which this case was like goths, like no one cares that you're (laughs) punching down a goth. Um, And then finally, I would say book of Mormon to see how good they are when they are paired with the right partner. Um, So I like, but it's hard because I want to say bigger, longer and uncut b- because of the music in it. But um, I think the music in um, the music in Team America is unique, especially because the music itself very much parodies uh, a certain time mm-hmm. in, in American pop culture. So but it that's a hard one because their library is fucking extensive yeah
0: yeah Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I still like one of my favorite lines is like their freedom isn't free song or my favorite what i almost did the freedom isn't free song that they did <laughs> from from team america for my number one song of theirs when when <laughs> it, that was that was a tough one but i think it's you know that's it's just great yeah tremendous soundtrack but tremendous songs on that on that movie
1: if you don't ship in your bucko five who will
0: <laughs> <laughs> freedom costs a bucko five
1: <laughs> so well, that about does it for this episode of Peak Show, and I want to uh, send a sincere thank you to Eric Peacock for joining and talking Stone and Parker with me. Eric, before you go, can you tell everyone again where we can find you, follow you, and your various projects?
0: Okay, so I hate saying my Twitter handle out loud, um but it's a great handle, it, it, right? But saying it out loud, well, because nobody knows how to say it. So the director Uve Ball, which most people call Ue or something like that. So my Twitter handle is a play on that, and it's uve bollocks so it's u-w-e-b-o-l-l-o-c-k-s is where you find my personal account and then i also have an account for my podcast which is called sound tracker you can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts and um you, you know just just to spoil things here Bree will be an upcoming guest at some point uh Yay! And honestly, now that we've talked about basketball, you may well be a returning guest. Um, Uh (laughs) I I just started doing secondary episodes, bonus episodes. So I got to I would love to do basketball for one. But uh, Soundtracker can be found on Twitter at Soundtracker with an underscore at the end. And I, I, I have an Instagram account that I don't use much. It's actually like a shared account between the podcast and my personal account. So that's the IG account is the same as my Twitter account, Uwe Bollocks, but mostly all I do from there is tweet a, or tweet is post about the podcast. So.
1: Alrighty. Well, as for me, I've been your host, Bree Rohde, and I'm really loving uh, finishing off season two. We're kind of, burning off episodes a bit but we do have a couple more episodes coming up on the Coen Brothers with Jeta Radcliffe we're doing the Babysitter's Club with Chelsea Jupin and we're doing a whole dang month on Star Wars featuring uh, guests you know and love like Ted Raymond and guests you probably know and love like Eric Siska you can also check out our back catalog for episodes on David Fincher the Saw movies Taylor Swift Adam Sandler and of course It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia which I mentioned about 12 times <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at prune underscore underscore Tracy you can also follow this podcast peak show at peak show pod on twitter don't forget to rate and review us um give us five stars or go to hell if you're an apple uh if you're a not an apple podcast user you can rate us on spotify as well special thanks to my husband jared daly for our show logo and all of its art and thank you to jack dump for composing our original theme music and thank you so much for listening i'm Bree rhodi and remember man bear pig Israel.